Joyce and I made the commitment to bring more guests on our show. And so we have a guest today that both Joyce and I were excited about, but I want to tell you, uh, Pete Duran, who's our guest, uh, is one of those forces of nature in terms of someone who has great insights, great business instincts, a good connection with people and what they need to thrive in the workplace, and some opinions that uh, I'm going to say some of our listeners may not agree with. So let's get right to it. Come on in, grab a snack, welcome. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Joyce. Look here we are I'm here today. Well, here we are again, but we're following the work that we did the last two segments, which was reviewing our purpose and wanting to um, re-heighten our engagement. And we said, you know what we need? We need more voices to... Um, stimulate thought and boldness. And we are in this, folks, to support organizational development and HR people wanting to do bolder work because business institutions often model um, for education, churches, all institutions. So with that grandiose uh, thought, (laughs) we have brought another person in today and I'll let you introduce him. Okay, so thank you, Joyce. And and Pete, you know, whether you know it or not, part of the work we did the last two segments was to have a regular routine of bringing other voices in. So you you were the person that helps us check that off our list in terms of getting us going. I'm really excited to have uh, Pete Dern here uh, because Pete brings what I think is a very unique perspective, not only to the world, but to the business world and how organizations can be their very best selves. So uh, with the audience that's HROD, it's going to be nice to get kind of that outside-in perspective uh, from you, Pete. So uh, so let me brag a little bit about you. Uh, Pete, is a serial, uh, Pete is a serial entrepreneur. We're going to find out how many businesses he actually started. And what I love about Pete is his honesty and humility. He hosts uh, a podcast called Eating Crow. And he spends a lot of time with him and his guests talking about where they've really stumbled, where they've hit the wall and pushed their way through. So uh, serial entrepreneur, you're now CEO of Cruxable Partners, which is a very unique uh, uh, talent search company. And I would add uh, that you're a pitch prophet. So you're very good at helping people sharpen their message. And I think what I would end by saying um, what I love about Pete, uh, what I love about you, I won't talk about you in the third person, right. is this is this is a man who shows up and touches other people's lives in a positive way. He's a, a person that I don't, I've never witnessed him in any situation not making it and the people there uh, better. So how's that for uh, an intro? <laughs> I'm not going to live up to even 10% of what you both just said. Yeah, 10%, 10% from you is plenty. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely good for 10%. So so I, I shared a little bit about you. Why don't you uh, tell us about who you are that captures the essence uh, of our guest today? 
Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me in the program. I know we've been trying to get this set up for a while, and, and I'm excited. I had a, a brief chance to get to know Joyce a little bit before we started recording, and and now I'm even more excited. So, um, you, you know, Bob, I think when, when we first met, there was a, a kind of a, a, a attraction to both of our backgrounds, right? We we had both spent time in the corporate world, hung out our own shingle, um, you know, trying to trying to leave the world a better place. So. You know, my undergrad is in engineering. I've I've got a, a an MBA because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do, and <laughs> it's it's in a, it's in a drawer somewhere collecting dust. Yeah. But after some time working at some large corporations, which I enjoyed, by the way, I enjoyed the the opportunity to to be challenged to to quote unquote work my way up the ladder, learn from some great people. Uh, I was recruited to a startup in the late '90s, and that kind of did it for me. Right, working for a small company. You know, drinking Starbucks at three o'clock in the morning, writing code, and just trying to figure out how to get this company off the ground. I was, I was completely enthralled with that environment. So I, after GE, I spent some time working at different startups in, and have had some successes, had some colossal failures, which you always learn more in your failures. Um, some of those failures were directly related to decisions I made or didn't make, right? So made the wrong decision and pivoted the wrong way in a market here, invested in the wrong place there, wrong hire here. So it, after those scars, I, I started my own company. And uh, and I think that was an incredible learning experience. Uh, did that for seven years, merged it with another company in 2017, and then just started doing some consulting work, uh, which is how I ran across uh, Bob in, in the great organizational work he does at Dorcas Ministries, which is a, a whole other podcast. But um, in the last few years, I've, I've helped uh, as a board advisor, mentor some companies, and mostly just helping organizations build their teams. And in doing in a way that helps them attract the right person for the right role um, based on a lot of understanding of the hiring process, how it's broken, how I believe it's broken, how it can be fixed um, and focusing heavily on soft skills uh, in addition to the hard skills that that I think a lot of companies use as the first cut, which means I think they miss a lot of tremendous impact players by, by letting people go too early in the process. And I want to help change that. Cool. Excellent. I have a question. You knew I'd interrupt. Yes. If you could come up with another word for soft skills, what might it be? Because um, it drives me nuts. I, I would call it uh, the intangibles would be the right word. I didn't even know that was the right word. Awesome. <laughs> well, I have a hidden book in my brain called Managing the Invisible. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Now I'll be quiet again, Bob. <laughs> no, this is this is what it's all about. So, <laughs> Pete, I'm, I I want to demonstrate that the pupil has learned from the master. Uh, you talk about any business being, uh, you know, identifying a problem that you are going to solve that will attract people to come and do business with you. So, tell us about your current gig with Crucible. Uh, partners and tell us about the problem and tell us what you're solving. So I, I have, you know, a, a lot of people say that when you get into the recruiting space, you need to really niche down, right? Find the market or the industry and be the best in that. Um, I ignored that for the first few years simply because my network and in, in my, just my network, I should say, was in a lot of different industries, right? Probably I've worked in five or 10 different industries. So I was 
I was doing recruiting for engineering companies, for software companies. I, I, Twinings Tea is a customer of mine, like the, a 300-year-old tea company, right? And I found a couple of roles they had just not been able to fill. So it's a little bit all over the map, but I recognize that my my core strengths probably come in healthcare. And healthcare is, is just, it's such a challenging environment to recruit. And I'm not talking about doctors and nurses. That's a whole separate that's a whole separate market business motion. And and by the way, I don't see that problem being solved, right? That that's a mm-hmm. supply demand issue that there's bigger macroeconomic issues at play there. I'm talking about insurance companies, providers, vendors who have job titles like remote analyst, regional market support, data analytics, right? That doesn't <laughs> translate to any other job. And when and the job description is four pages long. No I one would want to sleep in the middle of the title. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and the, you, you look at their posting, zero applicants, zero applicants, zero applicants, because it doesn't translate. No one would know to apply for the job. And then, you know, Joyce, I know you'll appreciate this. When you drill deeper, it's not just getting people to be aware of the job position. Most of these organizations do not have an employee-friendly culture, right? You go to work at uh, uh, an insurance carrier, and I don't want to lump everybody together, right? Or provider. They're difficult job environments. There's little up promotion. So they can't compete with the shiny tech objects, SaaS companies who are creating all these cultural attractions, remote work, all these different things don't apply. So many of my clients have thousands of job openings, thousands. Mm. And I, I I often work my way out of a job because my first question is, if this job position has been open for eight months, what happens if it's never filled? But what does it cost you? What's the opportunity cost of not filling? And if they don't have an answer, I, saw, I tell them, take it down. Right. Yeah. Don't fill it. Go challenge the hiring manager and say, why do you need this role? You've been working for eight months without it. How, what do you, and, and, and once you get above a thousand, you start to lose track of those economics, right? It just becomes a big boil the ocean. Can't, yeah, it's a gnarly mess. I can't figure it out. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, I have a lot of respect for in house talent teams. They've got a big challenge in front of them, but their primary task is benefits administration, interviewing, assessments, um, uh, and and mostly tackling inbound resumes, right? Which are ninety percent not qualified because people are just bombing in resumes looking for a job. Mm. It doesn't it it doesn't solve itself. Most entry level recruiters that are in house at a company don't have the right background experience in either sales, the role they're recruiting for. They have no relevant experience for the job and the person they're speaking to. <laughs> right. So when they send that make their, me crazy. Their, yeah, they send their first slate of candidates over to the hiring manager. The hiring manager goes, are you kidding me? Yeah. Now, one of these people is qualified for this job. Did you even speak with them? So, uh, and, and a lot of companies are hesitant about bringing in external recruiters, but they it, it's the same thing. If I'm going to remodel my kitchen, I'm not going to let my son do it because I've already paid for him. Yeah. <laughs> it might sound logical. I can save some money. He's new. I, he's cheap. He's a cheap labor, but it's going to be a lousy kitchen. And it's the main room of the house. So when you think about talent, and you both live this, there's no greater decision you can make as a hiring manager as a company than the people you bring and put on your payroll. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing else matters. They represent you to your customers. They make your product. They service. They grow. 
It is everything. And people look at it as a number in the spreadsheet when you get up into those thousands versus the impact they can have in that role. So kind of my tagline, and I and I I didn't have this tagline five years ago, is I'll find the talent that won't find you. Wow. Oh, that's a I great tagline. And you know, and and it when they start to rethink that, it it tends to we're gonna get into the business contract structure of recruiting later in the, in the discussion, I'm going to bring that up because it, that's another thing I think is broken, but there's, there's my soapbox. That's my elevator pitch. Oh. <laughs> Nicely done. Hey, so I, I'm going to share, a, I'll try to share a dilemma that uh, Joyce and I have talked about in previous episodes in the executive recruiting space. And that is that organizations, and I'll just say CEO position, they're looking for a certain pedigree, they're looking for a certain background and experience, and they come up with a uh, uh, a list of job requirements that really may hold out and leave out otherwise uh, qualified candidates. It's been like the bane of our yeah. existence where someone who's been passed over a couple of times ultimately gets the job and blows everyone else away. What? How do you handle that when people are looking for a perfect circle and in, in a perfect circle peg? Um, and, and Joyce, you hit it on earlier when you said, you know, please help me to find soft skills, right? So um, these intangibles, first of all, I don't think there's ever a perfect, perfect circle. I don't think it exists. You make one. Y- yes. Yeah. And you're in. Y- you, you do. I, I think... When someone lists out, and, and by the way, I write all my own job descriptions. So if someone has a job description, I rewrite it. Yay. And I write it as a story, oh. right? So I'll have some some tangible things at the bottom that are legitimate things that need to be pointed out, requirements, yeah. things to be aware of the job. But I write it as a story, and I want the candidate to be able to insert themselves in as the as the as the protagonist in the story. This is the role I play in the story of this company. These are the other cast members. Here's the here's the antagonist, right? Here's what we're fighting against. Here's how you solve that problem. Here's the tools and the armor and the weapons you need to bring to the war, right? This is so I've had people say, uh, I am applying because when I read that job description, I wanted to run through a wall for this company. Like that's oh the company I want gosh. to work for. Yeah. And and you're not getting, and by the way, I, I take some creative freedom, right? I say to the hiring manager, like, you may not be comfortable with this. <laughs> And I'll Good. give tw- Twinings is a great example. They let me rewrite their job descriptions. This is a 300-year-old traditional company, a tea company, right? You think they that. were like, this is great. I put humor in there. Oh. I, I, I want people to understand the company re- has a, has a, they're self-aware, right? That they know what their role, they play in their, your life now as an employer. So I don't think you can find a perfect match. If there's five major criteria, if we get four, we've hit a home run. And in yeah. one of the five could be a deal breaker. Like this, this one needs to be there. I get it. But if I can get three of the other ones or four, then we start, as you said, Joyce, we want to bring somebody that's potential, is willing to learn. But on the flip side, there has to be someone they're willing to mentor, to coach, and give feedback so they can grow. And I I don't, I tell all the candidates I talk to, I won't recruit you to a company I would not work for. Well, I already want to work for Twinings. Yeah. I, by the way, <laughs> you already made me fond. I know. I am now. It's a really that was one of my funnest recruiting things because I always put the job description, the company, and all the comp stuff in my in my first outbound. I want people to know right out of the gate. Here's all the details you need to be aware of. It's amazing. 
I love Twining's tea. I would love to work at Twining's, right? <laughs> That's how I feel. Imagine trying to recruit for a, a, a tax software company. It's not quite the same response, right? No. So I had, no, I I had a cozy. lot of fun. I want to watch a, a British murder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Sip what, a cup of what, tea what, and watch it. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to say we're all drinking coffee. Now we all wish it was tea. Yeah, I know. I, I do know. tea at night. I have to repeat. It's so weird with my when my grief with a uh, my husband. I began watching murder mysteries and found them very soothing. Is that not bizarre? Oh, I know, I know. And my my wife loves a good mystery. She reads a lot of books. Yeah, me and too. And usually, in every one of the books, she reads somebody dies at the beginning. I know, and here right? I oh, watch my husband. I'm doing all murder mysteries. Um, tell your wife, Demon Copperhead. Demon Copperhead. I'm going to write that down. Okay. Yeah, just do that. She and my daughter have their own book club together. They I exchange books back and forth. Yeah, all my time. daughter yeah. too. Um, speaking of soft skills and coaching, I do want to mention that my daughter last night did uh, a coaching. She's working for Sony to do some teaching at the HR department how to coach. And she came back because she's a CTI master whatever it is trainer coach okay. a yep. coach trainer witch, white witch but um oh my gosh she said it they were bored and I, she said if my energy she, i had to fight to not say not give it up and and one of the things pete your energy is obvious it's entrepreneurial bob and i did really progressive work our whole mass of our team but what we carried is I would look back at it because when I retired, I thought, oh, I don't know anything anymore. Um, we had natural entrepreneurial energy, a drive to succeed, right. uh, a tolerance for chaos, um, blah, blah, blah. I just wrote an entrepreneurship article. Are companies looking for that? As well as people skills, do they want a good disruption or are they ready for that kind of energy or is everybody so worn out there isn't any that's a great question i think um when i'm i i, I would i don't want to come across appearing that i have so many customers coming to me that i can be choosy who i sign right, right? that's not necessarily the case but i do spend a lot of time with the companies i work with trying to understand their culture because it, it Recruiting, one of the reasons I enjoy it, I actually enjoy all of the work, the science behind trying to find the right talent. I didn't know I would, but I do enjoy the work, which is a healthy thing to be able to say. Yes, yes. But <clears throat> I'm, I, I have the unique position of trying, I have to satisfy both masters. So if I place a candidate at a company and the candidate finds out they don't want to be there, I lose. If the right. you know, hiring manager finds out this isn't the right person, I lose. So I have to have both people be happy. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, I, I will very often in my screening process, tell a candidate, this is not the right opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. Even on paper, they could be great. I could send them over, probably get accolades. But I know, for example, that in a year or two, they want to become an interior decorator. Like I just, I just know this is where their passion is. Yeah. So then I, I'll, I go offshoot and I'll have an employee counseling session with this candidate about how to get them into you know, interior design. Like we'll say, what can we do to get you there? Yeah. Because karma is funny, you know. You you build these connections with people, and eventually, someone knows someone, and if they've had a pleasant experience, they're happy to refer you in. Like Pete did me a solid; he didn't put me into a job he didn't like. 
and the hiring manager, I have a guarantee, right? I have a guarantee. If that candidate doesn't work out in 90 days, I'll fill it for free. I've only had to do that one time. And we hired the second choice because the first one had a Mm non-compete. And we knew there were some reasons they were number two. And it turned out to be true, right? So they just didn't perform. I owned it. I'll go find the replacement for that, which also gives my customers a little bit of confidence that uh, I'll stand by my work, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, so Pete, I just want to reflect uh, on what you shared so far about your work and how you approach it. Remember a little bit earlier, we were talking about soft skills and it's kind of the intangibles and the invisible. When I look at what you're sharing, uh, there are a lot of executive recruiters that follow the same model, the same way of filling a position. And it seems that you have a more nuanced approach. You do that, mm-hmm. but you get to some of those intangibles, invisible uh, elements of either a culture or the candidate that literally become the deal breaker. So I don't know what that's how you see it, but that's at least how I'm taking that in. I, I think you're right. Um, you know, it, and I don't know why every recruiter doesn't ask this question, but you know, when I'm, I want to make sure. And by the way, my goal is to find someone who's currently happy and performing in their existing role. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I say to them, you should stay where you are. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad you took my call. There's a reason you did, right? Something must be in the back of your mind, but don't do this for the money, right? There has to be something about this particular opportunity that puts you in a position you've wanted to be in for some time. There's a pathway to something else. There has to be something that's uh, uh, exponentially better about this role than where you currently are to make this change. So... Uh, I, I think when I'm doing that initial filter, as you described it, Bob, I want to make sure that I don't get somebody deep into the process where they're going to back out, right? I, I, this isn't why I want that. I want that identified early. So compensation. And the way I do that is I say, all right, tomorrow morning you woke up, you have your cup of coffee or your cup of tea, and you go get to do your most favorite thing in the world. What would it be? Hmm. If you wrote your job description tomorrow, what would it be? Money's not an issue. You're well compensated. But if you could do something and at the end of every day, be thoroughly happy with it. And by the way, I'm a realist. You know, pursue your passion. Right. My dad never pursued his passion. He put food on the table for my family, was good at it. And and that was his role. And I love that. My mom knew her role. I mean, they they worked, right? They worked. They did a job. Mine too. Right. And and I there's a huge amount of respect for that. I, I, There are a lot of people that go to do their job every day. And when they clock out, they clock out. They don't bring it home with them. Mm-hmm. They don't stress about it. And I have such a tremendous respect for their ability to do that, right? To recognize their job as a job. When I go home to my family, I'm home with my family and I've done my job. I love that. I have some friends that mm-hmm. say, oh, Pete, you've traveled, you've started companies. I go, look, 90% of the time, I'm stressed out of my mind, <laughs> right? <laughs> You yeah. and they and when, when you explain it, I'm like, I haven't thought about that. You're right. And they and they find joy then in what they're doing. So I I'm not saying pursue your passion. You know, if you saw I love to knit. Well, you can't make a living knitting, right? So that's not necessarily an answer. But I have a lot of people go, Let's you know see. what? Uh, you knit, right? No. Good. You know, knitting. I know someone who did make a business from knitting. Well, good God, it must be a hell of a knitter, right? I mean, you know, good for them. <laughs> pattern maker. You go to pattern making. <laughs> is, is, I'm not even sure if knitter is a word, but it sounds like yeah. it. So, 
By, by the way, there are people that become Video. artists, voiceover, whatever it is. If you can turn your hobby into a business, but guess what? I also say to them, are you comfortable with your hobby becoming a business? Mm. Because fitness was my hobby. I turned it into a business and it became stressful for 10 years. I didn't enjoy my hobby as much because I turned it into a business. And I saw the dark side of that business. You know, it, fitness is a whole different discussion. So that's the filtering I'm doing is right. Let's, let's, then I ask deeper questions. So what would that look like? How would you do it? How would you make money at it? You recognize when you start your own company, you are the number one salesperson in that company. Are you ready to make cold calls? Who do you do? All those things we work through. And I'll have some people say, you know what I've really enjoyed? I enjoy building teams. Mm. Great. There are mm. not a lot of people that want to be a manager. That's Especially right. in sales, you make less money and you have all the hair that goes along with it, but they love it, right? So then I'm looking for management roles for those people. So I, it's a great question, Bob. I think, and I'm not the only recruiter that that is good at that. There are really good recruiters out there. I'm not saying I've cornered the market there, but I think they're in the minority. I don't, mm-hmm. I think it's like any profession. There's a bell curve, you know, right? There's 10% of the people on the right side of the recruiting belt really good at what they do. There are a bunch of people who just go through the motions and there's a bunch of people who suck at it. Right, so you know, I, I that's just any 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 profession. There's a bell curve. I'm pinching myself because I can. Well, I loved all my work, <clears throat> and I'll and of course I quit every six weeks to just refresh my brain. <laughs> just, you know, you could. Given all the cultures you bump into, what are some characteristics of the, that are prevalent and what you would say this is a healthy company culture and what are some characteristics that you see that are prevalent in cultures that aren't so good that they're blind to okay that's a really that's an hour-long answer i'll try to give you a couple high level points perfect so the first part what cultures are good right what cultures healthy. um are healthy um, people bounce around the word transparency a lot. I, I agree with it to a point, mm-hmm. right? I think transparency is good. I, I tended to be fairly open with my company, my teams, but here's what we're doing well. Here's what we're not doing well. Here's what we got to do to fix that, et cetera. Um, I think that's all good. I think you know, the concept of OKRs and MBRs and QBRs and all the R's and acronyms is abused, right? OKRs are a joke. I don't even know what they are. Uh, uh, objectives and key results, right? It's oh, it's just gag a- gag me. Gag me is right, right? And and <laughs> I was with companies that spent three months building out their OKRs for the year, released them in the second quarter, and no one cared. Yep. And no, no one cares. <laughs> they don't know how they impact those. I, I think um, yeah. transparency means- here's why we're here. Here's who we serve. Here's how we serve them. Here's why we're different than our competition. And here's how you can help us with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be complex. Uh, I think enabling middle management with some autonomy is where transparency becomes powerful, right? You can make decisions right or wrong on your own and own them. I'm not going to pin you against the wall for a wrong decision. Let's look at it. Let's figure out what we can do better. But I encourage mistakes. I encourage people to own their stuff. And that transparency has to come down by letting people know that we made a mistake and it was okay. And here's what we learned. That's yeah. how transparency works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, 
Otherwise, it's just lip service. So transparency would be important. Uh, I think the, the flip side of transparency is there are just some decisions that C-suite, VP suite have to make based on information most rank and file don't have in front of them. Right. And mm-hmm. you have to be able to own that. Like, look, we made this decision. We recognize you may not understand why we made this decision. Here's what we can tell you, right? But there were a lot of variables and we just got to move on. Yeah. And, and by the way, it might be the wrong decision, but we're going to own it. Yep. And then when it is the wrong decision, tell them right away, shit, that was wrong. Um, here's what we learned. So that's transparency. I think the other one is um, much harder. And that is, I'll call proactive, intentional people management. Management may not even be the right word, but is- Development. Develop, development. That's the right word, Joyce. That is the right mm. word. It's it, especially in remote work environments, it's so hard to do this. Because if I saw you in the hallway or we're getting a cup of tea in the break room, Joyce, we can have that conversation. You can say, hey, Pete, you know what? Do you have a minute? Right now Absolutely. that I bumped into you, yeah. which is random, let's go sit down and let me talk to you about what's bothering me. That doesn't happen in a lot of companies anymore. And there's an art to that. So now I've got to be proactive and say, I haven't seen Joyce in a while. Yeah, I got to schedule time mm. with her, which feels a little bit programmatic. Formal, yeah, yeah, right. Mm. And then we got to have this formal discussion over a call or a Zoom call, which has a lot less um, impromptu casualty to, casualness to it. Mm. But when you develop talent, you have to spend time with them. You have to understand what their goals and objectives are. You have to find out what's limiting them from accomplishing their goals. Remove those barriers. You have to listen to some painful feedback about you, your team, the company that's not working well because they have nowhere else to share it. HR you doesn't have the to time share for it this. anywhere else. <laughs> you, 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 you would hope yeah. that they would trust you with that. Right. <clears throat> but again, building that trust takes a long time. And, and if I've mm-hmm. never met you, Joyce, I onboarded you out of school here in Nebraska. We've never actually met face to face. How do you learn to trust me? Right. So if you can build an organization that that can convey that. And the only way to convey that is by having conversations with peers and other employees. Is that real? Yeah. Um, I think so. Transparency, proactive talent development. Um, and, and by the way, there's probably 10. The third one I'll give you, the right companies exit the wrong people quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yep. Cut out the cancer. Let people know that's not going to be tolerated. Regardless yeah. of how talented they are, that doesn't work here. Yeah, Bob, don't you have people in your head as he says that? Oh, they're, they're that's right. The bubbles yeah, yeah, are they're going, boom, 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 going boom, off. Boom, boom, we, boom. we all do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. It, it, so, I, you know, that was those are things I think are great in, in good cultures. I think, you know, all those things have a flip side in bad cultures. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I did a post this morning about a, a person that was let go. Um, th- this will shock you. It still shocks me. I'm still burned about it. And, and by the way, there's always two sides to a story. So I- Seven. Yes, yeah, seven. I take this with a grain yeah. of salt. I drilled down as far as I could to find out what really happened. Yeah. And uh, this person was 225% above quota, two and a half X their OT. Their manager was, had them up for a promotion and a raise, just crushing it. Um, HR called a meeting with them. Last week. Yeah. And said a year and a half ago, 1.5 years ago, on a sales call, 
you had Salesforce, a Salesforce tab open on your browser. And when you clicked between the demo to another page of the demo, it flashed that screen, which had a, a client's information, address, phone, whatever, nothing. And it was there for a second. And then you went into the rest of the demo. That's a violation of company policy. You're fired. A year and a half ago, and it was recorded on a gong call. So they were they were scouring gong calls. Wow! To look for this information, he I'm said, bullshit. He said, "Can I see that? Can I see the gong call? Can I see the video?" And shit, yeah. no, we're not going to show it to you. His manager was never informed. He was literally fired for that. Now, again, wow, you're not supposed to have Salesforce open when you do a demo, right? Right. You don't want cuss. But but this was in his first three months on the job. He was still a newbie. The manager never knew about it, never gave him any feedback, never coached him on it. No, 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 mm. no. What is happening in this organization, they're doing a silent riff uh, to remove the highest comp salespeople without announcing a public layoff to take the scrutiny in the marketplace. Wow. He asked me, he said, should I talk? When someone asked me, why am I no longer at this company? What should I say? I said, you need to be honest with them and tell them exactly what happened. Now, I said, I'm, I said, we don't know each other. I'm going to take your word for it. He said, I will show you my W-2s for the last two years. Not a lot of salespeople will do that. They'll bloviate and say, I crush quota. A hiring manager that has a salesperson willing to show them their W-2s, and I would never ask anybody for that. But if they would be, all you want is a salesperson who performs. Right? Yes. If they're willing to put it up there, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There's always, he said, that's exactly what happened. He goes, I was fired. So he didn't sugarcoat it. I let, He goes, I was fired because of this. And I said, is there anywhere in the documentation that says that's an issue? He goes, no, nowhere. They never showed me the call. It's yeah. 18 months ago. It's yeah. so egregious. Yeah, it is. That's the right word. That it's it's hard to even process. Yeah, I've sometimes talked, I've talked enough. More questions, please. Well, no, but it, but what I enjoyed about <laughs> what I enjoyed about this horrible story is sometimes telling a story that's an example of a toxic culture. Uh, is more powerful than just, you know, outlining words. So I, I'd like to shift and talk about you, Pete, um, uh, about you and your leadership. And uh, I'd like to have you share how has your leadership evolved over time? Uh, you know, what lessons have you learned along the way uh, that have helped you out and may help out some of our listeners? Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> oh, boy. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you uh, some. I'll give you an example of of what I didn't do well, and a lesson learned that um, I was very fortunate to have a couple mentors intervene in my career that reshaped my thinking in some things. So early in my career um, at a couple large companies, I, I was um, I was labeled a high pot. So I was given opportunities. I was promoted. Um, I was often told, here's what you're really good at, you know, and, and I drank a lot of my own Kool-Aid. And, and I'm a pretty good tactician. I'm a pretty, one of the areas I had probably had to learn more than anything was how to be more strategic, right? Because I love checklists and getting things done. And mm -hmm. a manager once told me, hey, Pete, for you to be a CEO, you got to think and see around corners. That was good advice, right? But that was probably the only piece of advice I ever got in the first 10, 15 years of my career. I mm -hmm. get to GE and you know, love or hate GE, there's a lot of people that debate it. They could develop talent, right? They would identify high pot talent, train them, move them up through the food chain. And by the way, often at the sacrifice of other talent, right? It was yep. it was a meat yeah. grinder, right? It was a meat yep. grinder. But I was very lucky that I had two very successful leaders that I worked for. I had two different bosses, CEOs of two different divisions that I worked for, which is strange, but it worked. 
And my very first meeting with the staff of this one leader, and this was, I had dotted line after this person. We were in a meeting up at headquarters in, in Connecticut. And he had a staff of people who I, I ran e-business for our division. There was other 11 other e-business executives in this room across the company. Well, in my previous jobs, more often than not, we'd be in a meeting. And at the end of the meeting, people would look to me and say, Pete, what should we do? So I was comfortable making the decision. Well, I'm I'm learning the GE culture. These other 11 people are more alphas right there. <laughs> they're they're been through the meat grinder. These men and women were sharks, super smart. I didn't read the room, right? So we're mashing around some things. I kind of got up the whiteboard, trying to pull it into a solution. <laughs> I think I've crushed it. I think I've got, man, we're on the right track here. I leave the meeting. Larry, my my boss calls me, he goes, how'd you think that went? I said, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it went okay because it was a freaking disaster, dude. You're going to get your ass handed to you. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I know you. He goes, you're the alpha at everyone. You're, you're, you're in a room with other alpha. He goes, you need to figure out how to get 11 other people in a room who are smarter than you to get to the right decision, not your decision. Mm. Whoa. And I was like, that is a great one. Shit. He goes, oh, you have a target on your back now, Pete. Because everyone's like, this dude's going some places. We're taking him out. Right? Like, like, just, <laughs> you have no idea what you've done. So I said, Larry, I, I'll be honest with you. No one's ever given me that advice before. And it's so good. I said, yeah. would you be willing to be my mentor? <clears throat> I said, I want to talk to you every week for the next year. And I want you to help me make me a better leader. Look how proactive. Mm, yeah. You know how clear about what you want. Absolutely. He said, I'm happy to. So we talked every week. And this guy, I saw him make other people cry. Other executives cry in meetings, right? If they did something wrong, he just took them to task. Mm -hmm. What I realized, it was not personal. He was literally just saying, that's not how this works here. And I, I, I started to recognize the value of objective feedback and, and swallowing my pride and listening and learning. And that year at GE, I literally learned from two of the best people I've ever worked under. Yay. It was so invaluable. Yay. And I ended up going to run a couple other companies after that and brought some people I'd worked with in the past into these organizations. And at, at the end of, of one meeting, we had an offsite meeting. One of the guys I'd worked with five years ago that was now with me here at this company said, what happened to you? He said, you know, we were all, we all loved working with you around you, but he goes, you're a very different leader now. What happened? Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of shared how I got my ass kicked. Literally got my ass kicked at yeah. GE. He goes, that's fantastic. So I, it doesn't mean I, I, I made good decisions all the time after that. but And I can tell you there was a period when I started my company. Um, it, well, actually, the first big company I ran, we grew up from zero to 30 million in three years. It was an incredible ride. We made some really bad strategic decisions at the end of that run, technical, and, and it had no, nothing to do with any one person or one yeah. mistake. It was a calamity of errors that literally became the longest year of my life. During that five-year run at that company, and then when I started my company after that, the seven years, I got so busy with the work, right? I, I defined myself by working long hours, and I'm grinding, and I'm doing all the hard work. And one of my board members at the, at the company I was running, I was a hired CEO, said, Pete, we don't pay you to work hard. We pay you to perform. I know mm -hmm. you're killing yourself and your teams can rethink it. Rethink how you approach this. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't surround myself with mentors during this 10-year period of my life.
Mm-hmm. I got so busy being a, 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 a CEO, a husband, a father, trying to keep it all afloat. I yep. stopped developing myself. I stopped learning. I stopped reading. I stopped seeking mentorship. And I suffered greatly as a result of that. Mm. When I got on the other side of that and was able to catch my breath and realize what had happened, I started to read more. I started to surround myself with people who would tell me I sucked. you know. And it's changed. I'm now a sponge. LinkedIn has been a great place for me to do that. It, there's so much free information. You're going to filter out the crap. But if you spend time in there and connect with people who you can learn from, you can gather yeah, so much feedback and say to yourself every night, like, shit, I'm, I should be doing that, right? <laughs> so my, my, I think my leadership has evolved, Bob, to I, I don't need to be a leader just to be a leader and be the guy in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, I will admit I would have a hard time working for anyone else again. Yeah. Because I, I don't... I don't do well with people who don't lead with empathy, who don't lead with clear communications. I don't do well following people I don't respect. And that doesn't necessarily mean as a person. They might still be a good person, but if I can't get in line with their leadership and and, and believe in the product or the cause or the mission, because I believe what leadership is saying is very different than we're expecting people to do, I don't align with that. And I have a hard time being involved with that. So I've discovered as a leader, I want to lead my own businesses and surround myself with people who align with that. And I'm just a lot more happier during the day. Um, Eating Crow, my podcast, all of my content on LinkedIn, there are a lot of people out there that post the after pictures. Sold my company for $100 million. I'm the smartest person in the world. I'm the greatest sales leader. All sorts of really cool stuff, very successful. There's a lot of noise in that. Um, what I've realized, I don't bring that to the table. I bring a lot mm-hmm. of freaking mistakes to the table. <laughs> yep. Seriously. So yeah. I, I most of my content is here's what I did wrong. Here's what I learned from it. Or here's somebody's behavior I observed that did it right. Here's what I learned from it. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get so excited. I just love this field. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's fun, right, Joyce? It's fun yeah. to get into the, the people I've field. Always. Yes. Yes, 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 and yes. Yeah. So that's so there, there's my there's my leadership evolution, Bob. Okay, great. We're we're close to time. I have one more question, but I want to invite you, Joyce. Uh if something has burbled up that you'd like to ask. I'm not me. gonna I, I, I I'm good. <laughs> ask your question. <laughs> you know, I oh, I have I have 20. Please do yes. yours. Well, and if and you know, Pete can always say, I'd rather hear Joyce's question. So, you know, Joyce and I, uh, our podcast uh, started at at right at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. And so in the last two, almost three years, a lot of our conversation is about blind spots that given the new workplace, given where we are now versus pre-COVID, that companies just are missing the point or what right. they, they don't see. Could you just give us your thoughts about where you see companies coming out of the pandemic, nailing it from a culture, from a mm-hmm. workplace? And those that aren't, and you have an hour to answer this question. <laughs> so, uh, five words. I, I think I think both companies and employees need to own this equally. And here's what I mean by that: I did a post uh, before the holidays, and in most of my posts, I don't I don't intentionally try to uh, be controversial. I'm not looking to get followers because I, I did some controversial jerk post. 
I chose a hook line for this post, which I'll explain in a second, that I knew would get people to go, hmm. Unfortunately, I think people read the hook line, didn't read the post, and made an assumption about what I was saying. Mm. Now, it post went viral. 99.9% of the people that followed it, understood it, gravitated. But the 0.1%, I got some pretty interesting feedback, like, well, you're 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 discounting the handicapped or people with mental health. And I'm like, if you read my post, it's the exact opposite of that. And mm. it kind of started to get under my skin, which doesn't normally happen. And I had to literally dis- disconnect myself from it. The, the post title was, the work from home crown bores me. The and work the from that, home what? The work from home crowd bores me. Okay. I thought you said crown. Okay. And, and the reason it bores me is I, I, I saw so many posts on LinkedIn about, you can't make me come back to an office. What are you doing? I have the right to work for my pajamas and take my dog for a walk for my mental health. And, and this is, you're, you're, you know, so it's so bad, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, look, I said, I work from home. I love working from home. I do. But I've been doing this for 30 some years, right? If I was out of school, I'd miss learning from people, meeting new friends, being in the, and my kids are in that, they want to be in an office. They like working from home once in a while. They like that, but they want to be around other peers. They do. Now, some people will argue with that, you know, because they want the freedom of working in their pajamas. And I had people say, well, this isn't about working in my pajamas. Who are you? I said, look, I I have a hard time. And I really had a hard time during COVID when people ripped the whole return to office thing. And I said, well, what if every public defender, first responder, grocery store worker, gas station worker, UPS driver, nurse, doctor, whatever, decided they wanted to work from home? Right? They can't. Well, they knew that going into it. I go, no, 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 no. That's not fair. Work from home wasn't a thing when they went into this. There mm. wasn't this whole opportunity for everybody to work from home. That wasn't a thing. So this is new. And I said, I'm grateful to work from home, but I don't look at it as a right or a, it's a privilege. It's not a right. And if you truly, and what about people with, it's so good for their mental health. I go, you don't think nurses need mental health? Mm. You try working a 12-hour day in a cancer ward and tell me you don't need mental health. Don't give me this crap that you need to work. I know people who work from home that have mental health issues because they're not around other people, right? So I said, I I made the point in my post, work from home makes a lot of sense in the right situation. I love the fact there's less cars in the street. I love the fact that you don't have to commute. I love all sorts of things about it that make a lot of sense for the right job but it doesn't apply to everyone. So don't stop making it about everyone. Now, LinkedIn is heavily concentrated on people who work in an office. Mm. It just is. But we're ignoring people who serve us that allow us to work from home by allowing us to grocery shop, see a doctor, all those things. My point was, let's just not make this all-encompassing. So when I look at companies that are are being successful or will be successful, they've got to read the room. They, they, they can't make an edict just for edict sake. I do agree. The work from home crowd is right there. Don't tell me to return the office just because you want my butt in a seat and want to monitor me. That makes no sense. There are a lot of jobs and a lot of people who perform better working from home. They can concentrate. There's no distractions. They're focused. They may have a sick child or a sick parent or somebody. It, it, it allows for a lot of things that didn't exist in the past. I think that's great. So, Companies that create an environment where you have the opportunity to go to an office, if you want to be in an office one day, collaborate, use a meeting room, whatever, makes perfect sense. So I don't think, again, there's always like a middle ground. Mm. Um, This is a free society. 
if I want to work from my home in my pajamas, there are jobs I can pursue to do that. Go do that, right? Mm. It's up to you. Yeah, I keep picturing the office as a campfire and that if I were the leader, I think mm. I would say that I want everybody to come to the campfire on Wednesdays. Sure. So that you can do mm. hallway conversations, so that you can gripe, yeah. so that you can connect. Or I, I don't know, it might be two or three, but I would want my company gathered yeah. periodically. And, uh, that, and I mean gathered, I mean 350 gathered or 700 yeah. gathered. You're yeah. under the roof. You're going to a cafeteria. I don't, I, I would, um, I would need that to get the read. Uh, absolutely. And I think the smart company. So a good friend of mine is, and his name is Harry Chalker. He runs a company called PMC Carolina. He's the largest Hayworth distributor in the Southeast, so office furniture, right? Harry's company does well when office cultures change. Yes. Right. They yeah. just do well. Because walls so, change. Yeah. So the yeah. shift to all walled offices, the shift to open concept, now the shift yeah. to hybrid, yeah. the shift to collaborative spaces, all those things. And his company is charged with trying to help. They actually started a division of their company to try to help companies figure this out. Right. So they yeah. they yeah. do a lot of consulting. What are you trying to accomplish? What do your employees do every day? What do they need? What do you need? Yeah. Give me the profile of your, of your workforce, et cetera. So they're, and I don't think anyone's cracked the code yet. Right. There is, Right. There is a large yeah, they, mixture, right? I know that our, our Bob, and we're going over, would be to pull together a literal cross-section of the company and do a search conference to create a first-try solution. Right. I mean, I, mm. I, yeah. I, I, I'm inter- my son's in commercial real estate. So my oldest son graduated from state in 2019. By the way, went into commercial real estate in January of 2020. <laughs> wow. I said, buddy, there are very few people in very few industries that could say they started in worse conditions. Literally, that that was his because that whole industry for two years was like, look, we're done. And yeah. a lot of people that made a lot of money for 10, 15 years literally went to their beach homes and lake houses for two years and checked out. Yeah. So Vinny's in an office, like, hello, anybody? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I need some mentorship. So for a year and a half, two years, he was craving. Coaching, mentorship, yes, feedback. Yes, yes, he didn't get it. And I think he's he's been fortunate. He was able to he stayed in it. He said, I'm gonna stay with it. I love it. Because he interned there this summer before, loves it. He's migrated into the life sciences side of their business, lab space, you know, where people have to be together, scientists need to be together. So he's he's got a bright future there. And I think he really and he's wired for it. But the natural office side is still trying to figure things out, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of companies went ahead and built these great offices. They were in construction, built them out, and no one's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they, we have to have pool tables or ping pong tables. They'll come around. <laughs> I, I talked to a couple executives this week. They're like, we have a floor that holds 200 people. There's five people here every day. Wow. And they're all still doing their jobs well. Yeah. So even, you know, and by the way, I don't, I don't, I get it. If I'm living in a big city, I don't want to drive 45 minutes into the office if I don't have to. Yeah. Right. But if you yeah. said, like your point, we're going to get on the campfire every Wednesday, I'd do that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So I think there will be, again, there'll be a mixture of, there will be a hybrid work from home, be in the yeah. office culture. There'll be companies that always, if, if you run a plant like Twining's Tea, oh. you kind of got to be in the plant to make the tea. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So those jobs, and I, I, I have such a respect for people that are machinists, electricians, plumbers, machine operators, warehouse workers, right? They're in these places giving us the goods we need to discount that. Well, they know that going in is the work. I'm sorry, they they don't. Those options weren't available. Mm-hmm. Then maybe they would have rethought what they're doing for their career had they known they could work from home. Uh, this is the greatest Every generation is going to say this. This is the greatest generation, in my opinion, to come out of college yeah. in, its, mm. in, in terms of the opportunities in front of them. Yeah. I, I, I put three kids through school. I, I, would tell you, I would tell you right now, I don't know that I would send one of my kids to college anymore. I agree. If I had wow. an 18-year-old, yeah. I don't think I'd send them to college. It's not worth it. The return on investment is a joke. Now, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a you know a, a very specialized discipline, yes, go do your thing, pursue it. But if you get a degree in philosophy or general business, what are you coming out of school with $100,000 in debt for? Right? Well, yeah, and I'm so big on liberal arts as a foundation for empathic uh, gen idea generation, but how do you do that so it's not a hundred thousand dollars? Right. I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather say. I, I, so I told my youngest, and I said, if we were having this discussion now, and by the way, all my kids played sports in college, so they had a different path. They they got scholarships, they went and pursued yeah. their dream. Great, yeah. I think that's awesome. But I, I said, look, what if we said, here's your in-state tuition for freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. What if we took that $25,000, which is in-state tuition room and board in North Carolina, and why don't we went and bought you a condo or, an, or a townhome, and you lived in one side of it and rented the other side out and fixed it up. And the next year, we bought another one with the same tuition fee. And in four years, you're sitting on $2 million of real estate assets. You have no debt, and you have cash flow. Who's better off? College graduate with $100,000 in debt, no business experience, because by the way, I said, go, go, go hang out a shingle on LinkedIn, go write software on the side, beg groceries, do whatever you are while you're investing. Take a job, get a job and learn. Because you have now in four years learned more than anybody learned in any college degree they're getting. You've learned real life, investment, budgeting, mm. strategy. You learned the water heater broke. I got to go crawl under the crawl space and fix this. My renter just quit. All those things come into play. And it yeah. doesn't mean that you couldn't go back to college in those four years and get or a degree. Take a class as bingo. You know, right? like a yeah. cafeteria. There should be no adult education. It should be anybody age education. I Absolutely have an eight year old granddaughter right. who's would go for anything. Yeah, do online courses. And teach yourself a skill. Right, learn how to write code. Whatever it is. Yeah. I, I just I think that the college ecosystem is about ready to break. I do too. Because mm-hmm. they. Yeah. These these schools, by the way, are country clubs. Yeah, no, I do know that. I, you and I, all the the three of us, we went to school in a ten by ten cinder block, right? Literally, that was it. There was no, it was that the cafeteria, which was eh, and you walked to class. That was what you did. Now these student centers are oh, country yeah. clubs. It, yeah, it is, yeah. it is yeah, not people. Kids graduate from college. And and their living means go down. Right. Mm. Unless mommy and dad are footing the bill, which a lot do, I'm right? Trying to think of the anthropologist who in the sixties wrote that the whole world could shift if you if whatever ending income would be predicted for you, you got it first. And yeah. then oh, yeah. it dwindled. Yeah. David Goodwin, somebody wow. like that. But yeah. anyhow. I mean, I, I you know, I I my son my nephew's an electrician, super kid, great. Yeah. 
you know, he's he's got a trade. He will work five days the rest of his life, never travel, go home to his family every night, not bring his stress home. He's yeah. got a he's a craftsman, right? He does yeah. really mm. he can build things. It's it's so cool. Um, you know, I my daughter got a degree in occupational therapy, my oldest son's got a degree in business, my youngest son's getting a degree in finance. They'll do all do great good things, right? But uh, after your first job out of school, no one cares where you went to school or what your grade point was. Yeah. yeah. They care about your experience. Unless you're going to a big five consulting firm, they don't care. And some of the most talented people I see started their own business, failed, started another one, and found a way to, you know, figure it out. It's just uh, it's a different world. Cool. So we are officially uh at time. And and Pete, I I can't thank you enough uh for taking time out of your incredibly busy life. So, uh, Joyce, any uh, closing comments that you would like to make? I found it exhilarating to bounce around ideas and to think of future shapes of work, uh, period. I just had a good, I had fun. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a really high, high value of mine. Well, that's a great, yeah. that's a sign of a good podcast when you can have fun. I that, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, for sure. Hopefully, listeners will as well. And I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Um, Bob, thanks so much for the invite. Joyce, it's great to meet you. And I see thank why Bob is, has been a joyed friend of yours for 30 years now. So I look, forward to, I look forward to staying in touch. I would love that. Okay. Thank you. We'd love that. Okay. Take care. Until the next time. Boy, that was fun. I have always appreciated working with Pete in the past on a number of projects because he's, he's literally the kind of person you want in the room uh, when you're making big decisions or setting direction uh, and, and quite frankly challenging uh, the status quo. He's great at uh, what I call sh shaking things up and doing some some good trouble. Uh, so until the next time we want you to potentially become a guest if you're out there and listening and have something to share, uh, we'd love to have you. So let us know. So until the next time, be well and be safe.